When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Heather Matarazzo. Yay. <laughs> what is going on? How are you? Welcome. Oh, honey, I, I'm doing all right. Um, I, I am healthy. I am uh, relatively sane, which I guess is subjective considering uh, the times that we're living in. And exactly. uh, just trying to, or no, my, my intention every day is to um, witness more beauty than destruction. I mean, I think that those are our good goals of the day, right? Yes. Well, listen, I mean, I'm in the Hamptons at the moment, but I live in New York City. I know you're from Long Island. I know you were recently back in New York. You had your first slice of New York pizza in eight years. So like- yeah. Don't you just miss New York when you're not here? No. <laughs> I don't. I think that um, for me, I, I, I miss the walking. I miss the walking because LA, despite what people desire to tell you, is not a walkable city. Um, and I, I, I miss the anonymity of, of New York. But that's really about it. I'm in the, the, the phase of my life, the chapter of my life where I just want to essentially become like a hobbit and live in the woods and uh, go off and do movies when, when asked and otherwise just uh, create a sustainable community <laughs> in nature. I get it. I get it. So, I mean, maybe one day you won't even live in LA. I mean, that, that, that is where uh, my mind and heart are, are starting to go. Well, listen, you have been in the business forever. I know you started like at a very young age. I mean, was that like a conscious decision? Did it kind of find you? Did your parents say, Hey, guess what you're, this is what you're going to do today. Oh no, absolutely not. They did not do that. Um, I, I think it was a marriage of, uh, it finding me and me finding it at, at the perfect time. And, and I feel that if it had gone any other way, you and I would not be talking right now. Um, but also maybe who knows, uh, 
you know, I, it's very strange and interesting, I think, when someone so young knows exactly what they desire to do. And, and my soul was just screaming to create and, and express. And it, I, I didn't have a concept of what movie stars were. And so that wasn't my intention. My intention was, oh, I want to express myself like Betty Davis. Oh, I want to express myself like Judy Garland or Thelma Ritter um, <clears throat> and be able to uh, sink into the, the tapestry of story. And obviously back then when I was seven, I didn't have the, the vocabulary with which to express that desire except to say, I want to do this. Wow. Did you ever want to do anything else? Like in those early young years where did you ever waver? No, no, never waver. Wow. Well, your first role was the iconic Welcome to the Dollhouse. How did that come to you? I mean, I was doing a play at Jiva Theater in Rochester, New York. I was doing The Miracle Worker and playing Helen Keller. And that run had got extended twice. I think it was supposed to end in mid-April. And, and we ended up going <clears throat> almost until the end of May. I think it was like May 24th. And my then manager was there for closing night. And she said, you know, the day after tomorrow, I have, I have an audition for you to go on for uh, an independent film called Middle Child. And I originally was auditioning to play Don Wiener's best friend. And then Todd asked me to stay and read for Don. And then I came back and did a callback with him for Don, and then I got it. Wow. What was that experience like? You know, your first film, number one on the call sheet, lead like leading the whole thing. Well, that was my first feature. The first film I ever did, I was seven, and it was called A Children's Story, which was an NYU short film that ended up winning, um, <clears throat> I think, like, Best Academy Award for st student short. There was something to do with the Academy, wow. and I was the youngest recipient ever to receive a Tisch School of the Arts highest honor for acting. Um, so when I did Dollhouse, it, 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 not that it was just, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't separate the work in terms of, oh, a short film means something different than a feature film. Like a, a, a film is a film is a film. And, <clears throat> and my job is, is just to show up and, uh, do the, the character that I'm playing, justice and I, I think that a lot of not I think that there's a percentage of actors and and I think I, I mean I, I I know that that they're men in in the space of that method and that the self-indulgent um idea of you know needing to send your castmates a rat or whatever the fuck, you know, it, 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 
none of that was in my consciousness. It was just, oh, this is now the character that I'm getting to play. And oh, these are the, this is the emotional uh, sea that I'm in right now. And, and that's it. Right. It was very simple. You know, there, it's not, making movies in, in uh, it's, 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 it's as simple as it is difficult. Wow. I've never heard it put like that. <laughs> so there's going to be no dead rat set for anyone that works alongside you, Heather. No, because I'm not screaming with insecurity. Right. I'm secure in my work. I'm secure. I'm secure in a director and a producer's uh, like, yep, she, she's the one. She's right. So that says to me, okay, then you know what I can do. And all I need to do is show up. Right. When the movie came out and it was so, you know, critically acclaimed and, you know, like uh, it was the Sundance darling and won awards and like you won an award for your, like, do were you shocked? I mean, like you said, like, are you in the work? Like, do you not think about, wow, this one's great. This is something. I had no idea. I, I, I had no idea. At, I didn't really even know about Sundance because I was 11 when I did Dollhouse, you know, and, and I think that it's easy for people to forget that at that time there was no social media. There was no, there was none of, none of this stuff, you know, yeah. so any information you wanted to get, you would have to go to the fucking library, you know, or Barnes and Noble. Um, so I wasn't aware of the impact that film had made. And, and I feel the first inkling of understanding the, uh, the splash that, that I had uh, encountered was being at an airport after Dollhouse came out. And I, I was, I think about 13 and uh, a grown woman came up to me and she was wearing glasses and she had tears streaming down her face and was telling me how my performance changed her life. And it, here's the thing, that that kind of compliment and, and that kind of confession to, to anyone can feel overwhelming. But as a 13-year-old child, that is just in the uh, relatively beginning stages of of, of learning about the impact that oneself can make. It, it, it was very difficult to receive because I, I just knew the space of I'm showing up and I'm doing my work and, and people seem very happy with it. But I didn't, I didn't connect that with the emotional connotation that uh, people would be getting from watching said work you know i've said it before and i'll say it again i love this freaking audience now you guys know i've been talking about dane products for a few weeks now and you know what you guys are not just listening you guys are purchasing and i know this because you're all slipping into my dms ladies and telling me which dane products you like the best and what you're doing with them TMI, but you know what? Feel free to share because we're all family here, right? For anyone that hasn't heard yet or hasn't purchased, what are you waiting for? Dame products are designed to make you feel so good. 
It's really just that simple. I mean, who in life doesn't want to feel good? And there's so many options to choose from, like the Evo, which is a wearable couple's vibrator for hands-free fun. There's the Air, which stimulates with air pulses, well, to help get you there. There's the Palm, it's pleasure in the palm of your hand. So many options, ladies. So listen, by listening to this podcast, you can go to dameproducts.com and you use code VELVETROPE to take 15% off your first order. That's right, 15% off at dameproducts.com with code VELVETROPE. And yes, just like everyone else, once you purchase any of these products, feel free to slip into my DMs and tell me all about it. Enjoy, ladies. Right. That makes sense. I mean, you were 13. That's a lot to... Process. I think it's I think it's a lot for anyone, regardless. Yeah. But but especially as as a thirteen year old, you know, who's just barely beginning to have a sense of self. You know, right. brain is very malleable and and uh, plastic, and and who am I and who am I in this and and what does this mean and how does this reflect and does this change anything? I'm historically I, I I've learned to mask my introversion enough uh, to be quote unquote somewhat personable um, though I've gotten the the uh, feedback sometimes that I, I historically can come across as cold but what it really is is incredibly shy um, so whether I'm so I, I I've learned, now throughout these last 30 plus years of doing this to be able to receive that praise um as as a grain of sand you know because for every person that says I'm brilliant there's 10 other people that are saying that I'm a raging fucking ugly cunt that should die yes That is the world that we live in, but at least you have that. I, I agree. You know, I think, cause I think the opposite is like, if you feed into all of that, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. I think, you know, a lot of actors and people in the business can go down that road of believing the hype. And- yeah. And I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's always a balance, you know, there's, there's, there's always a balance. And I love that very old Chinese pr- proverb, which speaks of, um, I'm going to completely fucking butcher this, but speaks of this old man who uh, lives in a village with uh, his son. And and essentially the moral of the story is people will come up to him because, oh my God, his horse ran away. And they're like, oh, what horrible luck. And he's like, maybe, maybe not. And then the horse comes back and brings 10 other horses. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Maybe, maybe not. And then the son rides one of the horses and he breaks his leg. Oh my God, this is horrible news. Maybe, maybe not. And then a war starts and the son can't go to war because his leg is broken. Well, this is such great news. Maybe, maybe not. You know, right. it's, it's that continual uh, leaving it in, the, uh, staying in that space of the unknown of, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like, uh, water as opposed to a rock. That makes a lot of sense. And can you appreciate, I mean, it must be, you know, you said you've learned all these years. I know you're like on the convention scene, like you've done a lot of conventions, you know, and I I'm haven't sure- done a lot of conventions. This is, a, this is the year. Like I, uh, again, I historic, I tried to do a convention. It was actually chiller 
back in my mid to late 20s and conventions then were, weren't what conventions are now. Um, and again, at, at that time, especially, I was incredibly shy and incredibly uh, turned in on myself. And I felt very, very, very overwhelmed and felt kind of, I don't want to, I felt very uncomfortable and was like, this is, I, I, I can't handle this. This is not for me. This is absolutely not for me. And then within the last year, a friend of mine was like, you know, a lot of people have been asking about you in terms of doing conventions. Would you want to do that? And I was like, okay, well, who I was in my 20s most certainly isn't who I am now. And I feel that I'm in a space where I can genuinely go out and engage with fans and, you know, have a really beautiful experience. And so, yeah, like I did one a few months ago and now I'm getting ready to do Chiller and a few others with within the year, um, which also is a little bit more difficult because of COVID and, and whatnot and also wanting to stay safe. But it felt intuitively like it was the right time. So I'm, I'm thankful that I, I'm, I'm, I, I get to have that opportunity to engage in that way. Yeah. And I mean, the movie, that particular movie, and then we can move on from Welcome to the Dallas, but like, it just means so much to so many people. You know, I think if you grew up other or were other at the time, who, how could you not relate to this film? Yeah. 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 It's true. It's true. So see, so you've done that for lots of people, including myself. I received that. Thank you. You're welcome. What was like after, you know, Welcome to the Dollhouse? Like, was it, you know, you know, because look, we all know this is a business. Was it then like, hey, I know you're young, but this club is open for you. Come on in. You know, everyone wants to talk to you. you, were you like, that was kid? not my experience at all. That was that was uh, the the farthest thing from my experience, period. Um, I, I did not go to clubs. I did not do the whole Hollywood thing. Um, you know, which, which was twofold in, in, in one sense, you know, because it's like, all my friends are doing it. Why, like, why can't I do it? Um, and, and also again, it, 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 I'm, I was like an awkward kid. Like, it's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about fucking shoes. I want to talk about like what you think happens after we die. Like, <laughs> and those aren't really conversations that are conducive for club life. <laughs> not necessarily. No, they are not. You were just an old soul. Um, and like, and I mean that in like the best way possible. I, 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 I received that. Yeah. I mean, I would much rather hang out and talk with like Betty Bacall smoking a cigarette than you know talking with whoever the fuck was you know the the uh heartthrob or or sugar packet of the moment <laughs> right you know like I wasn't interested in being part of the like in crowd in that space because they all seemed quite boring yeah carbon copies and, and I don't mean that as a slight to, to my peers at that time, but also, again, that late 90s, early 2000s, 
there are, are, are so many people that, that you don't hear about again. And that's the thing about this business where it's like sustainability is, is key, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that I, I, cause I didn't move to LA until, um, 2014. So I was, I lived in New York, you know, like I was like a fucking New Yorker, you know? So, so that, that club scene also was, was quite different and you would sooner find me Marie's crisis, you know, uh, singing show tunes. <laughs> I get it. Well, I probably saw you there. I was probably in the corner somewhere there myself around the yeah. same time that you were. So <laughs> Who doesn't love a little Maurice crisis? That's right. What about, you know, because another film that's so beloved by so many people is like Princess Diaries. I know you were in the second one as well. What was the whole Princess Diaries experience like? I mean, I was in both. Yeah. Um, I I mean, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And and that was very unexpected because I happened to be doing, I was doing a series for CBS at the time. And Glenn Karen and Les Moonves had, had gotten into a pissing match about uh, whether or not the show was going to be picked up. So Glenn Karen and his, his, his genius slash folly uh, had the end of the first season be a cliffhanger and Les Moonves called his bluff and canceled the show. And so here I am, I think like 16, maybe seven, I think 16 maybe 17, fuck sakes, doesn't matter. I, I just remember getting the call and, and starting to panic. Like, oh my God, shit, this, this, this show is, is canceled. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I don't think that any 16 year old should really be thinking about whether or not they're ever going to work again. <laughs> but such as the neuroses of being an actor and, and, and that experience of living in the unknown. And, and then a month later, I am in uh, an office at, at was then uh, the, the Falcon Theater, which is now the Gary Marshall Theater, uh, sitting outside with, with Annie Hathaway, waiting to go in to meet with Gary Marshall. And so if that, if that TV show had continued on, I wouldn't have had the experience of working on Princess Diaries. You know, so it, 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 it was absolutely wonderful and, and a delightful surprise. And, you know, Gary was the first one that showed me that you could really uh, have fun and, and let your little kid out um, on set. You know, everyone always asks me, like, how I deal with the internet trolls, like all the listeners who have something to say about the housewives and leave negative comments all day on Instagram. Listen, I have to tell you, I'm really serious when I say that the comments don't bother me at all. And the only reason why is because I've worked on my mental health. I mean, mental and physical health, there's really nothing more important. Because when you work on yourself and you have that clear mind Nothing can bother you. You're comfortable. You're happy inside. And the long-term effects of therapy and working on your mental health really can help strengthen your relationships and give you a more positive outlook on life. 
And for my mental health, I've turned to Talkspace because, listen, first of all, it's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. But really, I love that I can reach out to my therapist and get my therapy and work on myself from anywhere in the world. You don't have to wait for an appointment or go into an office. And their licensed therapists are trained to handle just a variety of specialties. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use code VELVET to get $100 off your first month. That's VELVET and Talkspace.com. You know, because we were filming over Thanksgiving and, and we had like a Thanksgiving Day parade. We just stopped shooting for an hour because he thought that was important. You know, like, it's not just about the business. It's also about family. It's also about this. It's also about that, you know? And, and so it was, it was an absolutely lovely experience. What about working with Anne Hathaway? Like, did you learn anything from working with her? I, I think that we learned a lot from each other, you know? Um, because when I, when I was doing Princess Diaries, I was at this very interesting point in my career where I was being considered like the indie darling and whatever. And I was this punk 17 year old kid that was like, fuck, doing this fucking Disney movie. Like, okay. Um, And our birthdays are two days apart. So you get two Scorpios together and Gary is also a Scorpio. So we were, and my birthday's the 10th, his was the 12th. And uh, Annie's was the 13th um, or the other, what else? Uh, Age will get you uh, in terms of memory. Um, yeah, Annie's is the 12th and Gary's is the 13th. And, um, you know, I was, I think I definitely scared Annie a little bit <laughs> because of my, my just my gruffness. Um, and she definitely taught me to be a bit softer. Um, and, you know, we just got on like a, like a house on fire, you know, and she, I love working with actors that aren't like brick walls. And, and there are some that just are so caught up in their own stuff that they're not able to play and engage in the present and the moment which is what acting is all about. And Annie is one that is able to not only be present um, and give back, but there's that, it's, it's always fun to play with somebody that has that fellow spark of, of getting to leap for lack of a better word into the unknown in, in a moment, you know? And I, that's not just reserved for, you know, Coen Brothers-esque, films or whatnot it, it it's it's appropriate uh for for a range of genres so yeah working i mean working with her was great i mean that was her first big thing was, yeah yeah why do you think i mean i've talked to other people that have worked with like and like you know they say great things like why do you think you know i mean she's in on it like why like if you google her name and it will say like you know diva this that like you know the that there is that thing surrounding her where why do you think there's all this and is it like a double standard does it have to do you know is there a difference in this business I mean I think honestly and I say this respectfully I think it's such a boring question it's like we already know the answer to this question you already know the answer to this question 
You know, it's because people, people are assholes. That's why, because people are fucking assholes, you know, but like she's doing just fine. (laughs) You know what I mean? Kind of. She's doing just fine. I would say so. What about, what was your experience? I mean, you know, with all the different genres out there, I personally, if a horror movie is done right, I love it. What was your experience with Scream? I mean, I'm such a fan of those. I mean, it, I, I mean, geez Louise, what, what higher compliment than asking, than having Wes Craven, like call your people and be like, well, Heather Meyer has to come to my movie. Like yeah. what? Um, and he, I, I mean, geez Louise. And, and Scream was like the first premiere I ever went to, like the original Scream. So then when I got that call about Scream 3, I, I was just absolutely delighted, you know? And, and it was two days and I think I was working on something else at the time. And um, I, on those two days off, I, I, I went and, and, and shot that. It was an absolute delight. Such good, such good performance. Are you going to be in Scream 6? Like, do you know anything? No, I mean, I know it's... But it's already filming. Like, I'm not in, the, I'm, I'm not in the, the next one because that is going to be a completely new iteration. And um, we'll see if I come back for the final installment after that. I hope so. Your children are in it. So, I mean, you've got to be, you've <laughs> yeah. got to be somewhere. Yes, 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 yes. So I think I'll, I'll probably ba- be back for seven. I hope so. What about, I mean, listen, do you have any thoughts on like Nev Campbell not being there? I mean, I'm one of those fans that's just like, oh, no. I mean, um, I think that if you are the head of a franchise, and and you are in part what cemented said franchise and you have a film that is making hundreds and hundreds and millions of dollars that the lead actor that played Sidney Prescott, which is the protagonist of all protagonists, should be paid what she's worth. I agree. Right? I mean... And then, I mean, that's to me, right. I, yeah, I guess there's really nothing more to be said about that because yeah. I agree. I mean, I know I've read some things where it's like, be happy for the job, but I agree. I mean, no. there's a Sydney. No, because here's the thing. It's it's that deal of like, if if you, <laughs> it's it's bullshit. It's, it's, it's absolute, absolute bullshit. You know, and I, I, I think that there's this idea that we've been lulled into because that's the way capitalism works in terms of we've been conditioned to be okay with crumbs while everyone else gets to eat the full meal. And that's not okay. No. Like, that's not okay. And and I think it's easy to point fingers at those that are considered, like, quote-unquote, elite or whatever the fuck, you know, but people don't recognize that, like, if you have been doing something for... I mean, Nev's been doing it about, I think, the same time as me, like over 30 years, you know? So if you have that much experience under your belt and you have, um, and you should be paid what you're 
paid what you're owed. And again, especially when it's a studio, you know, independent films that might vary. And, you know, there are other components that aren't necessarily monetary that come into that, you know, but if you're working for a big fucking studio film and the, like the only reason that it, it, it is what it is, you deserve to get your fucking money. You deserve to fucking get that bag because you fucking earned it. Totally. I mean, it's the same thing to me. Like, I know you were on Grey's Anatomy. Like, it's like an Ellen Pompeo. Like, there was an article like a few years ago and everyone was like, she's just like, I'm, there's no create, you know, there's creativity. It's not a disrespect, but I'm doing the same part for 17 years. I've lost oh out on these 3 million parts that were actually, I was interested in. Huh. Why wouldn't I just say I want the damn money? I'm like, good for you. <laughs> Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Considering that that show makes ABC billions of dollars, not millions, billions. Yeah. Yeah. How and notice it's always women. Notice it's always women that get criticized for this. It's not men. It's not men because we are under this guise that, well, whatever the man gets, he deserves it. He deserves it. But the second a woman, um, is asking for equity that is similar or equal to she's a fucking problem. She's an ungrateful bitch. Keep your mouth shut, do your job, be thankful that you're even working and that we even want to see your face. And that's, uh, it's, it's, it's a double standard and, and one that I, I, I don't subscribe to. I mean, I would agree. That's the first thing I thought when I read this article. And then there was all this side nonsense over Ellen Pompeo. I'm like, she's the title character. It's 17 years. I mean, now it's 19 years. And yeah, yeah. you want the show to go on without her? Although this season, she is going to be reduced to eight by choice. She's only going to be in eight episodes, which I would imagine it's time. Yeah, sure. Did you like being on that show? It was great. It was great to connect with um, Shonda again, you know, because she had written Princess Diaries too. Um, and and uh, I got to formulate like a beautiful relationship with uh, Jerrica Hinton, um, who's still a very close friend of mine to this day, you know, and it's, it's always lovely to be on a show that um, is, is, uh, highly regarded and and yeah it was it was a lot of fun Shonda Lana special yeah what was your experience like when you were young working on Roseanne oh I mean it was it was a whirlwind I mean who the fuck can say that they they worked with like Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Kind of. I mean, like The Unsinkable Molly Brown was one of my favorite movies growing up. It, it, was, it was an absolute delight to, to, to work on that show, you know? And, and it was the final season and, and I, I hadn't been there in previous seasons. So there was obviously a lot of other things going on behind the scenes that I didn't, that I wasn't privy to you know, but again, I've been very blessed with getting to come in and, and work, uh, however briefly, with some of the greatest entertainment institutions that happen out there. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you have. You know, one of the things I like to talk about on this podcast that, you know, is just like fame and the addiction of fame and like the misperceptions of this business, you know, and I don't mean to insult like the audience, but like, I think it's just a lot of people think, you know, that are not in the business that, you know, everyone's best friends with George Clooney and you're going to go over to Courtney Cox's house and then see J-Lo for dinner. Uh You know, so your tweets earlier this year, like totally resonated with me you know, where you just kind of, you know, we're honest. I mean, that's what we do on social media, you know, just about the struggles of the business and that, you know, the type of day you were having. So talk to me about those tweets. I mean, first of all, I definitely wasn't expecting the response it got. Like there are many more important things to pick up on a newswire. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and also, I think that people, uh, there was some strange misinterpretation of the tweets because let's blow everything up. And I think some people thought I was saying I was going to kill myself or something because there was like, and uh, like, Jesus fucking Christ. So I learned that, A, uh, don't bring those things to Twitter, though I'm now kind of in that weird space because I've had a number of people reach out to me and say, oh, my God, I'm so thankful that you shared this and you said this. You know, it's, it is a business, and, and the business has really, really changed since since when I started, you know, just as everything, nothing ever ceased to say. Um, and I, I, I feel that the art of being an actor has started to get lost a bit. And companies or like, let's get this TikTok star because they have 52 million followers as opposed to, you know, um, somebody that's been doing it for a long time. And, and they may have some natural ability and they also may not. And, and, and that in part was my, my frustration in the space of, I love what I do. I love being an actor. And I think that there is something incredibly sacred about it. You know, um, we are the ones that are willing to expose ourselves uh, uh, spiritually and, and psychologically and bear our scars and, and, and bear our, our exposed and bleeding nerves um, so that you, the audience, are able to um, go under some kind of uh, alchemy and, and transformational process. People go to the movies to see themselves. People go to theater to see themselves. They don't go to see movie stars. That's not why they go. And people might go again and again to see a certain actor or a certain director um, or hell, even a certain writer. But, um, and, and that is not because they are necessarily a movie star, but because they have elicited a trust with the audience time and time again through their performances that the audience knows on a subconscious level that, 
oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to have an experience. Oh, I'm going to allow myself to feel safe enough to feel unsafe in a theater for two hours and be transported and unexpectedly changed by the time the lights come up. You know, and, and that for me is the, is, is the meat and potatoes of, of what I do, you know, because of what I get as an audience member uh, is, is what I hope to give as an artist. That makes a lot of sense to me too. Right. And I do think people misconstrued the tweets. I mean, it like I, I related I'm, to the, do business. you remember exactly what I said? Because I don't even, I, I don't, I don't even remember. Well, I remember it. Cause I wrote it down knowing we were going to oh, speak. Okay. You said, you know, you said a bunch of things and some of this is a slight paraphrasing, but just, you know, you were struggling, struggling just to survive, you know, in relationship and trying to make it in Hollywood. You feel at a loss, you know, because you've done the work you've taken the disappointments, you've taken the rejections, you know, you completely understand that rejection is often redirection, you know, and you have continual faith in the universe, but today something broke, you've given your life to acting and you, you know, you're done struggling just to survive. Well, that's, well, I think that also is what happens um, I, I, I'm not going to go into detail, but I'll, oh, right. Because I had said that I had had a series of losses in the last month that like were, and, and I had that you came you know? close to some things. No, I didn't come close. Wow. I'd actually gotten the thing. It was packing to go. It was a life-changing opportunity. <laughs> and then the studio came and it like, it was, a. It wasn't any of the creatives. It wasn't the showrunner. It wasn't the creator of the show. It was a, a, a business thing that had nothing to do. So it was a whole fuck all. And, and this was something that I had been, uh, that they had been coming to me back and forth for almost a year. So I was on the short list for three months and then it went away and then it came back and then it went away and then they came back. Then it went away. Then I came back and they said, it's yours. And my team, myself, my wife, it was life-changing. When I say life-changing, it was life-changing. Um, and I have no problem like rolling up my sleeves and doing the work and supplementing income. Like I do script notes for people. I'm not like, I'm just sitting in my throne waiting for my role. Cause like I'm an entitled little bitch and like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I, I do what I gotta do. Um, but, but this was something that I felt that I had, I had rightfully earned and when was unceremoniously, uh, ripped out from under me and, uh, under, uh, in, in 24 hours. Well, we're going to continue this story and talk more about Heather's amazing career, Hollywood, the ups and downs of the business, talk a little more about Scream. All roads lead back to Madonna somehow on this podcast, so we're going to talk about Madonna and just so much more. So stay tuned for part two of our chat with Miss Heather Matarazzo. 
Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.